Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready. We're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back. This is episode 123. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. This is Robert sitting in the captain's chair, and we are doing our history episode for this uh, episode. And this is probably one of the most serious episodes of oh, history yes. that yes. we could possibly ever cover. Because we're going to talk about the Holocaust, the Shoah as the Jewish people say. And this is easily, in most people's minds, the most monstrous act in history, which in some ways is a little odd because it's certainly not the largest genocide in history, but it is still considered to be the most monstrous genocide right. in history. This is, of course, Adolf Hitler's Third Reich exterminating, going on a literal... Uh, a nationwide plan to exterminate the Jews in territory they controlled. And along the way, there was also about another six or seven million besides the six million Jews that were also uh, put to death. But the Jews were obviously the largest single group. They were specifically targeted. Yeah. Right. And that, that's part of what contributes to this feeling of this, it's the most monstrous evil in history is... It was it's targeted. so targeted at this one group. Yeah. It was ethnically based. And that's, it's it's different than, I don't know. I mean, we and can it, talk about that. And it different. bridges across so many places. Right. It's others, not just Germany. Yeah. Others that we've seen have been internal, uh, starving people to collectivize farming or, or whatever. This is across an entire continent deciding that this one group is undesirable right. and seeking their systematic industrialized, yeah, industrialized yeah, elimination. So. Right. And this, I guess that's part of what makes it feel just so monstrous. It wasn't just, well, we're letting the, letting them starve. It's we're deliberately poisoning people in mass. Well, and the, I think the other difference is, is partially in the why it was done. Uh, you know, as far as uh, compared to the uh, the millions that were killed in China and the millions that were killed in Russia, yeah. uh, something like sixty million Russians, uh, mostly Ukrainians, wasn't it? Right. Yeah, yeah it was twenty million. Twenty million. Twenty million, and then the well, I know twenty million died in World War Two, but as far as the famines in, in okay. Russia, well, I will defer to your your number. I mean, I could be totally wrong on that, but we're still talking tens of millions. Tens of millions. Tens of, of millions. And it was something close to 100 million over the time time frame of the uh, the Cultural Revolution yes. and so forth. Which is China, even more modern. Which is even more modern. Yeah. So and that's even more monstrous in terms of numbers. But they were all done with political aims, which doesn't excuse it. Right. But they were the means to an end. An internal, in, yeah, an internal political goal. Right. Yeah, a, a, in a, the Holocaust... It was the end. It was the goal. Yeah. Murder, Not a means to... Murder remember. itself was the goal. Yeah, extermination. Yeah, well, the elimination of, of the Jewish people yeah. from any, any territory that they controlled. Right. There was a little bit of talk, and apparently there were some deportations to French Madagascar, uh, but very, very few. It was just a very tiny amount. And, you know, obviously not all of the Jews died in, in Europe, but... Most of them. And, yeah. you know, it was so systematic. That, I mean, it was so successful in that sense. Yeah. And, and it emphasized it's not just <clears throat> not sending supplies someplace or letting people starve. It was active, putting not, the, not the entire apparatus of the state in motion, rounding them up on trains, deporting them from... Uh, you know, the Netherlands and France and Western Europe deliberately to places in Eastern Europe to, to, uh, course language here, but finish the job. Right. Um, and again, the finding what they were doing was in, uh, inefficient. So, well, we're going to need those bullets. That's so right. Let's yeah. find something else and experimenting with, you know, truck exhaust and finally pesticide right uh the the uh, 
the effort put forth in the middle of a war. Yes, and the resources and 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 the the it's just monstrous to think somebody would sit around trying to decide how to do this. Right, and I want to talk about that. And that's, of course, exactly what they did. They actually had a conference, yeah, yeah. A, a meeting to decide yeah. what to do. I brought that me- that movie up. Uh, I was going to say, we've so got, many we got to talk about that. Yeah. It, to me, it's just a fascinating study. Uh, but you know, before we get into that, you know, the, the episode is titled, How Did This Happen? Yes. And when I first looked at that, my first thought was, holy crap, I can't believe I'm doing this one. Because I just... You know, you know me. I hardly ever look at the schedule ahead of time. I'm really bad about that. And luckily, you guys tend to carry me when I when I don't have a whole lot to say, uh, which honestly is not often because I'll find something to say. Well, that's a great thing. <laughs> you know, say something. Yeah, your right. skills are such that um, you know once you get focused, you're sure. off and running, and and it's well. And I tend to like to you know if you present me the the subject, I can I can delve into the meaning and the the and the stuff behind it pretty well, which is what makes this one, I think, so difficult a topic to even get your mind around. Yeah. Because there really are two questions here. It is, how did this happen? Which, you know, we can talk about the mechanics, and we and we will, because yeah. that's important, too. Yeah. But the why, you know, the why is tied up with the how uh, yes. in, in some ways. But when you think about the why did this happen, which is not actually the official title, but you have to talk about this. You think about why did this happen? That is such a a metaphysical question. You know, yeah. it's got eschatological uh, oh, meaning yeah. and yes. implications, and it is just just to me the questions. Like I said in the the, the show prep, and I'm going to do it. We don't drop the f bomb, but you know, the real question is how did an entire country go fucking insane at the same time and take allies with them over time? You know, over years. Well, over years, yeah. But I mean, relatively speaking, it's a rel- it's a short amount of time from when Hitler takes office to when they're deporting them to the death camps. Right. And it is years, but I mean, in the scope of a society's timeline, it's very short. It's yes. very short. You know, it is less than two presidential terms. You know, we're, so think about that. Think about you know, happening fast enough that it becomes difficult to escape. Right. Uh, it, it's not like. It wasn't advertised that this was going to happen. Well, it, and and they it was advertised in that we're going to get rid of them. I think, but I don't know that it was. Hey, we're going to send them off to the gas chambers. Correct. Yeah. They, you know, it, it became. I think clear. it became one of those common knowledge, but we don't want to talk. Well, about so that's it kind of what I'm talking about when I say this happens over years. This is not something that one week something happens. This right. has got you it's a slow progression. It's a slow progression, and if you're paying any attention at all. Right. You can see it. Right. I mean, there are there are Jews who escape. I mean, they do see this and they go, oh, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to end well for us. We've got to get out. That's right. But it's it's happening quickly enough yeah. that there are those who cannot get out. Correct. Yeah. And, and then by the time you start talking about the conquered lands, there's no time. Right. There's That's no time in France. There's no time. Uh, in Belgium and in the Netherlands and well, Holland, yeah, uh, it, it's just the Western Soviet Union. It, it's Ukraine, over. you know, all that. Yeah. It, it's it's done. You know, so Poland. Let's let's talk about the timeline a little bit. Obviously, even before Hitler comes to power, uh, he and his goons are already persecuting Jews in Germany. Yes, you know there are beatings. Uh, you know, uh, there's assaults. There's destruction of property. All the the usual thuggishness kind of stuff that you would associate with. The SS. Yeah. S- it would be the SA. Uh, yes, it would be the guys. SA. At the time. brown shirts at that time because they and, had assumed power. You know, it, it starts out there. So when Hitler comes to power, you're right, Martin. The Jews there, the ones who are paying attention, they can see that this is going to be a problem yeah. because you're, it's now going to become government policy. And very quickly it does. Yes. Uh, very quickly uh, in, in a progression. You know, they start out with ABC. But it's not like A now, and then, oh, you know, it's, oh, you know, a little while, we're down to B, and it's like A, B, C, D, you know, it's very quick. And it is a progression that is unending. And it starts with things like uh, Jews are barred from certain professions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jews are forbidden to uh, get educations. Jews have to have their businesses Aryanized, meaning they have to sell them to good Germans. Yeah. And all these different things that are meant to make life miserable. Yeah, I mean, uh, dismissal from academic positions, right. 
and and Couldn't marginalizing be. their their writings, their their music, everything. Yep. Uh, every bit of their culture. every scholarship and learning is is being marginalized. And saying, right. well, that's not that's not a value anymore uh, because it's not Aryan. Exactly, and that's part of I think the mechanics of all of this. You know, the last time we got together, uh, you know, we were sitting at uh, Der Waffle House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about what drives people. Mm-hmm. You know, I brought up those six human needs we talked about. Yeah. And on the, on the drive over here to uh, to the Baxter Building, which is where we are today, we are in the Baxter Building. Yes. Recording. Mm-hmm. We've moved out of Reed Richards' lab. Yes. And we've moved also in, known as Studio F. Yeah, Studio mm-hmm. F. And we we here at Studio F in the Baxter Building, we've moved to Johnny's game room. Yes, we have. Which yes. is just on the other side of the portal to the negative zone. Yes, you might hear the flush on occasion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so on the way over, I was thinking about those. He's trying to apply those to what Hitler and and Himmler and Goering and, and all these guys put together. So I can easily see all of them how they use these principles to sell the German people. So Prior to, to World War II, you've got this, the Weimar Republic, and you've got a horrendous economic system. Yes. We had a 10-year depression. They had a 20-year depression. Yes, a, a monstrous economic dislocation that leads to a lack of faith in the established classical liberal political and economic order. Yes, okay. and all of the classic leaders mm-hmm. as yes. such as well. well so it was aristocracy, not- the... The, uh, the moneyed gentry and all of those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that were part of the problem. But more importantly, the reason that Germany lost World War I, it, it's very much their own lost cause myth. It is. Yes. Uh, it very much is. And the reason they lost had to be because they were never invaded. No foreign soldier set foot on German soil. And it's, you know, from a, a civilian perspective, they're like, what do you mean we lost? We've been in France this whole time. How could we lose? Yeah. So there had to be this idea of somebody stabbed them in the back. Yes. This it quickly yes. and eventually became the Jews. The, the economic the dislocation, the starvation in the war, that couldn't have been because we weren't winning. Right. It had to have been someone betrayed us. Exactly. That's right, because you cannot question your own superiority. Yes, and that's part of what where I'm going to go at here. So they've got a whipping board in the Jews. And to be, you know, to put it in the context of the times, because remember, context is always important when we talk about history. Yes. Jews have always historically been the whipping boy everywhere they've been. Uh, it's a very sad commentary on Western society yes. that it's been true. But it's there have been very few places where they have been welcomed into society that they have Traveled to long term. They have yeah. moments at times. Yes, but the uh, the Crusades had some really horrific times, uh, and they were expelled from England. You know, during the time of Henry the Second. I mean, this is you know, a long, well, long history. It, it, being expelled is always a kind of a half-ass thing. Uh, pardon me for dropping the the, the uh, foul language today, but the way it was because the Jews who had money were always welcomed, just quietly. Yeah, that's right. So it was very much a, a, a hypocritical. Uh, stance because you know kings are always poor uh, so they always had to borrow money who they borrow money for often it was from uh jewish bankers and, and traders mm-hmm. uh, which is how jews get this this uh stereotypical reputation of being money growers which you know all of these things after who you are there are gonna be people that are money growers you know it just just, just so happened that they picked on the jews for this and because you know, they're the Christ killers. And that's how all of this stuff yeah, ultimately is up There's here. a religious aspect and there's an ethnic aspect. And that's because they don't give up their culture. This is one of the amazing things about the Jewish that's, people. That's exactly it. They uh, have ne- they have always been God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. For five thousand years, that's who they've been. Yeah. And that's that's an, no matter where they've been. Even when they didn't have a homeland for two thousand years, that's still who they've been. That's right. And they and they and they keep those traditions and it, uh, the unfortunate thing is, in order to keep those traditions, you have to keep yourselves close, yes. and they, therefore they do not interact sometimes with other non-Jewish cultures, which unfortunately makes them easy to find. Yes. And that's how this worked here so much in the beginning of the days, because everybody knew. Yeah. Well, you know, they were much more, they would have been much more akin to what we would consider the Orthodox Jews today, 
Right. Uh, you know, there would still have been variations in, in, in all of that, probably less so than today. But, you know, they would have been uh, visually easy to, to pick out because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, cultural differences. That's right. Also have cultural differences in how they dress, the kind of clothes they wear, what their men look like, what their women look like, all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So they're easy to pick out. They're already blamed for a lot of things, so they get chosen for this. Now, Francis, what you said I think is really important. You can't say it's our fault because that implies we're not as good as we say we are. And I think this is extremely important. So those six needs, we talk about certainty and uncertainty. You know, the certainty of the Aryan superiority is paramount Very much so. to the Third Reich. Yeah. It is the most important need that they have to fulfill. They have to be certain that they are on top. Mm-hmm. Nothing can be allowed to shake that, which is why all Jewish cultural examples and uh, instances of where Jews have uh, important positions have to be removed. Yep. Because they are an underrace, uh, untermensch. Mm-hmm. And it is, they just have to go. You cannot allow those examples. And Germans also, that uncertainty that, that, that is that, uh, you know, that's less important here, but the uncertainty is is more about we're going out to conquer the world. You know, we're going to go out and do this. You know, which is very uncertain. You're taking on this big bold enterprise. Mm-hmm. There's also though that uniqueness. Their Aryans are the best, so they are unique in juxtaposition to the Jews, who are these untermen. So they are the the overmen, the uber, ubermensch, ubermensch, yeah. uh, man, superman. You know, under. Uh, Minor man, <laughs> minor major, however you want to, you know, but the 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 highest ideal versus the lowest yeah. dregs. And, and part of it is, of course, that, well, we're going out to conquer the world. We can't have this fifth column in our own backyard. Right, which under, was never a fifth column. It, it, yeah, I mean, right. Most German Jews were incredibly loyal right. uh, to, to the German state, uh, the previous uh, iterations of the German state. A uh, hundred thousand... Uh, Jews that enlisted in the army in uh, World War One, right? Um, but it, it was this feeling of we can't have this these people who might betray us right here in our in our midst as we uh, we go to establish this new Third Reich, right? So there's the the other side of that uh, uniqueness is connection. So that connection is played out in how the, the Third Reich, the Aryan uh, Aryanness is everybody who is non-Jewish basically yeah. bands together. Uh, is basically the Germany against everybody else. Right? Yeah. So you've got uh, the the certitude, the certainty that they are uh, they were betrayed, but they are the best. You've got the uncertainty that we're going to take on this bold enterprise to free the world from Bolshevism uh, and yeah. especially Jewish Bolshevism. Bolshevism, yeah. uh, and you know they, they uh, the uh, connection of the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, the uniqueness of being the ones who are the saviors of the world, basically. And then you've got the last two, which are very interesting. Uh, you've got uh, contribution and growth. This is their contribution. They consider this their contribution to the world. All of these things are going on, all of this destruction they're bringing to the rest of the world is viewed in this cockeyed way as their contribution. Mm-hmm. And it's a time of their growth. This is how they are achieving their greatness as a people. Their cleansing fire that they're bringing. Yeah. So every one of these needs is being met by the Holocaust and its associated oh. endeavors and ideals. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why, and I think maybe the main reason why it is so monstrous. Mm-hmm. And it is... You know, it's to me it goes beyond the the targeted uh, targeting just the one group, uh, majorly the one group, yeah. or the efficiency with or the efficiency how they, how they worked it. It was, and I think this is how we get it to become so ingrained because you start off with, man, those Jews, they're really not helping out. You know, they didn't really do us a a, a fair deal in the war. Uh, you know, really, maybe it was even their fault that we lost yeah. the war. And my God, afterwards, you know, they were kind of running the government in the Weimar Republic. So they're kind of to blame for the economic 
hardships that we've had. And they're the only ones that came out with any money on the other side. And the only one that came, came out with any, which is not true. Not true, not right, true but, but that's, that's the perception. That's of, the perception. The rest optics, of us, yeah, the rest of us were very starving, much controlled. And the people who own these businesses came out ahead. Right. They're the only ones. The rest of us starved. So they've set up the, the groundwork. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it's so perfect, it almost has to be intentional, but, uh, you know, I don't think it was as intentional in the beginning in setting up the groundwork. I think it just fell into place for them as a natural result of their, of this ideology. It's possible, but you can I, I, I find it very fascinating to look back at, because we've talked about Nietzsche quite a bit. Yeah. The whole will to power theories that he's put forth are on display in how this pulls out. This, this now, is very deliberate. To be fair, let's, because again, you know, I, I know I've, I'm not a huge fan of Nietzsche. You guys know that. Right. Uh, but he does have some good things. But I, I will admit, a lot of this will to power stuff mm-hmm. is the fault of his sister. Oh, yeah. We've, who, who put yeah, together we've, we've a lot of his that. works. We yeah, yeah. That. That's correct. But I, I don't want to let that go without saying yes. Right. That, but that, that was... She bastardized it. Right. And, and they used it. And they used it. And that's kind of the point here is that this is, <clears throat> if you're going to do this, by gosh, you're going to do this. And that's kind of the, the whole theory behind how you execute all this. If we are going to decide... In order to achieve power, you must have the will to do so. And in order to do so, you have to have nothing stand in your way, which that's why you create the villain, the internal villain. Uh, A, to deflect away from your own weaknesses and give people something to believe in. Right. It's that rallying cry. That's how they they connected together. I mean, that's why they were. That's how they were able to be united so quickly. Yeah. You know, they didn't factionalize. They yeah. were they were all brought under the Nazi umbrella willingly and quickly because they gave them, at least in their minds, something to believe in. Well, it was I don't know if it was entirely willingly because the Nazis did a really good job of suppressing any and all opposition oh, that's on their way to power. That's right. Not that's right. just after they got into power, but on their way. Right. So well, they were the only Nazis. alternative. But they were the only strong alternative in a country that was crying out for strength. Which was used to having the strong leader yes. cult long before. It's, it's generationally baked yeah. into who they are. Yeah. And, and, it, tr- and it's important, again, to remember these other structures that we're so used to yeah. in the West yeah. had been seen to fail. And well, they were yes. opposed to begin with. Yeah, the, 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 the classical economics, classical liberal uh Political structures yeah. had all been viewed as completely failing. Right. Uh, over, and here they are imposed by the very people who defeated us. Yeah. Uh, but not fairly because we were never invaded, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. And there you go. There's one other uh, aspect of this that I, I find fascinating as well, and it I think helps to explain some of this and takes a little bit of a backstory, but. Uh, Yesterday, uh, or this weekend, as we record, is Booz Alumni Weekend, yes. Bellarmine University, Bellarmine College. And I was on campus yesterday with uh, Bjorn, who, as we know, matriculating uh, uh, as a legacy. And um, the program I attended uh, yesterday is for the, what was called Cardinal Section when I was in it. Uh, it was just called the Honors Program now. But it was so generic now. Yeah, that's uh, I know, but uh, uh, I so enjoyed Cardinal Section, and uh, it was kind of a invite some people from that had been in it, and it was a small gathering. And you know, at the time of COVID, they sort of just had a limited audience. But part of the uh, event was then to break up the group into classrooms to participate with students that are in the current honors program on different topics. And, of course, Bjorn got, uh, and again, he's a physics major, <laughs> but he got invited to participate from Dr. Speliotis, his professor, in the ethics discussion. So we're going to the philosophy class, which Otter writes, if you've been here for more than 10 minutes, you know, was right in Martin's wheelhouse. He was just wishing he had his homeboys with him. We would have definitely taken over the whole discussion. Yeah, it may be a good thing we didn't, because, you know, it would right. be sad to embarrass the teacher like that. Well, <laughs> they might have kicked us out. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, again, a gathering in a room, four current students, 
Uh, and again, Bjorn had had this class, it was last year, not this current semester, so he had completed the class, but an ethics class uh, that focused on, uh, let's see if I get these right, uh, Aristotle, Aquinas, John Locke, Kant, and John Stuart Mill. But during the course of the discussion, uh, with again, these are grads from 65, 71, 88, current students, new students, um, Hannah Arendt came up, and all rights, if you're not familiar, she is a German Jew who didn't manage to escape uh, and wrote extensively and, and was a uh, philosopher, and she coined the term banality of evil. And that's a, in looking at the perpetrators of this monstrosity, yes, they're influenced by intellectualism, but they aren't. Right. Uh okay. Uh, they're, you know, a chicken farmer, a fat pilot, a failed painter, um, an architect, regular schlubs right. committed this yeah. atrocity, which, and, and you start to, again, you're talking about needs, then you start talking about well, their psychological need to prove that they're more than what they are. And they is an acting out this destruction of a people isn't acting out of, you know, I'm, I should be more than just a chicken farmer. I should be more than just a pilot. No, I'm qualified to run this nation and to prove it. Guess what? We're going to pesticide these undesirable people. Right. And there's almost the entire Nazi philosophy. I think can be summed up in the Holocaust because it was, Oh my God! It was. I mean, it, obviously, the most destructive thing we've seen as a, as a single political ideology. You know, ultimately, it's responsible for most of the deaths in World War II. Yeah. Obviously, the Japanese have their own section over in yeah. the Pacific, right? Because uh, the two sides of the war didn't really have anything to do with each other, other than the fact that the U.S. fought both sides and the British. And so we've got this ideology that is all about, uh, like you said, Martin, making us more than we are. Yeah, and it's all about uh, the Lebensraum. Yeah, it's all about, or as one uh, one person uh, called Doris Bergen called it, race and space. Yeah, I mean that's really? a great way to put it. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about the the ethnic ideal German, which oddly enough is this uh, blonde haired, blue eyed man and woman. But most Germans aren't blonde haired, blue eyed. <laughs> so and, you know, yeah, after a while they they got a you know, set some of that aside. But originally, right. yeah, I mean, that was, if you were to join the SS. Right. And then your mate had to also look that way so that your children would right. look that way. Eugenics is a huge part of Glad you mentioned the, yes. uh, the whole Nazi ideal. But, you know, eugenics, up until Nazis, were considered a good thing. Yeah. You know, this, we don't realize this how, today. How, yeah, it's it's a... Extension of Darwinianism. Yes. To how do we breed better people? I mean, you know, the the abortion people hate it when you bring this up. But Margaret Sanger was a huge proponent yeah. of eugenics in the United States. She was very influential. Much yeah. so. And she's, and she's, yeah. How do you, how do you breed better. better people? You flip it over and you get rid of the ones you don't like. Exactly. Well, just prevent them from breeding. Yeah. Prevent them from breeding. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I mean, that's the start. If you prevent them from breeding, then why should they have ever been born? Why should they have ever been born? Yeah. Let's yeah. just go ahead and get rid of them now. Exactly. Yeah. And yes. that's how you get to where and they're in Great slippery slope arguments, but once you pull away the dignity and sanctity of life, no one is safe. Right. The inherent dignity of the human person is totally gone in Nazi Germany. It does not exist. Total home run. Total home run. You've driven in a couple of runs. Well, thank you, because during the show prep, I made some, I thought, funny puns to the guys and got crickets, and they and it was just three swings and a miss. Flailing away. He was yeah, flailing away. But he, he, he dug in. Uh, dug in Choked up on the bat. And, and, well, Mark and gave me great the, encouragement. He said, man, you know, just choke it. You know, like you say, choke him on the bat, come back. Keep swinging. Keep, keep swinging. swinging. Come back Spits to the tobacco box. juice and dig into the batter's box. Right. And you're, you're, you're going to start driving the ball. That's right. So, you know, this. this metaphors. This, I love metaphors. Especially when you get to baseball. You know, <laughs> baseball <laughs> metaphor for me. That's, it works. I love, Absolutely. I love it. it's, it's great. Uh, so, so we've got this period in the 20s where the National Socialists are trying to gain power. And, you know, they're, they're seen as a joke 
And yeah, severe hall push is is is, is not. It's you know it's ridiculous. It's laughable. I mean, it's kind of why they were like, well, we're going to sentence Hitler to this long prison term, but then they ended up letting him out after what three years. Yeah, it was very short. It's like, oh well, they were kind of harmless. Let's let him out. Yeah, that was a smart idea, wasn't <laughs> yeah. it? Uh, well, so far-reaching. Yeah. Somehow, though, their ideas had to have gained traction because they had their own newspaper. Yeah, you know, they had a, a big enough following to have these groups mm-hmm. everywhere in, in Germany. It wasn't just in Berlin, right? And and Mussolini's having some success in Italy yes. with the same ideas. Yes. So there is a there is a an example out there. Of, hey, well, they're getting Italy straightened out. Maybe this Hitler guy could get us straightened out too. Right. Ugh. So yeah, how how well it, it really says a lot to the, the where Germany is uh, as a country as a people psychologically when they're looking to Mussolini as the ideal. Yeah. That's how bad things are. As an example to to emulate. Yeah. Right. You know, because again, this is in the middle of of what for them is is horrible economic times, the equivalent of our depression. In the twenties, uh, just started there ten years earlier, mm-hmm. and you know it's because they had to pay so much in reparations. That was the biggest mistake at the end of World War One. Yeah. Uh, if they had not bankrupted Germany with all those reparations, I don't think Hitler can come to power. Well, thank you, George Clemenceau. You know, yes, that's kind of where that comes yeah. from. Germany uh, must pay. Clemenceau and, and Lloyd George. Yeah, we've said many times they, they, they and screwed Wilson, the pooch. And Wilson, they sowed the ground and. You know, the next generation, you know, reaped it. Mm-hmm. So so Hitler comes to power in 33. He's, he's appointed chancellor. Hindenburg is still president. But, you know, it's this weird mix. You know, Americans, we don't understand how parliaments right. and all that other stuff works because we got two houses of Congress. We've got the president. We've got the Supreme Court. That's it. You know, we hold elections on a regular cycle. You know, we don't have a president and a chancellor or a president and a prime minister of some countries. Because to us, that sounds like you, had, you got two leaders. That's right, redundant. Yeah. yeah. And so, as chancellor, Hitler is able to basically force Hindenburg aside. Which, again, it's hard for us to understand that as Americans, but he's able to... Right. It, 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 Hindenburg standing in place of a monarchy. Yes. Appointing, you know, this... Someone with political power. And, and like you said, it's like, why bother? It's just a mess. Yeah. So Hitler, and apparently Hitler feels the same way, because it's not long before he's basically gotten rid of Hindenburg as a, as a factor at all. Yeah. Right. And when Hindenburg dies, I don't think there is a new president. Right. There's not a new president. Uh, it just continues on, which is technically that is your coup. Right. Yeah. That's it. Because he he eliminates both offices, I guess, chancellor. And the office just becomes Führer. Right. I mean, I think he's still technically Chancellor, but yeah, he's the Führer. Yeah. Uh, so that is the new term. Right. Yes, he's the leader. I mean, it's literally what it means, leader. Leader, yeah. And, you know, dear leader. I mean, you know, Orwell, uh, you know, there's a reason why <laughs> Big Brother is the leader. Uh, yeah. It, it, why that terminology is used. So as soon as he takes power, you know, this whole thing about the people, it's very much about the Volk, yeah. the people. Yeah. Uh, and while there may have been some in the National Socialists or the, uh, what's the National, uh, what's the full, it's the NDSP or something like that? NSDAP, uh, yeah. the National German Socialist Workers Party. That's it, National something. German Socialist Workers Party. Very uh, good, sir. Pulled that one right out of the bodily orifice. Yes. yes, something like that. So throughout the 30s, all of these restrictions are put into place. And, you know, they start out with, let's boycott Jews. Well, you know, boycott doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of legal authority, but then the legal stuff uh, starts yeah, the to the Nuremberg laws in. follow. The Nuremberg laws. And then very uh, quickly after you've got that Crystal Knock. Crystal Knock, yes. Uh, which is basically where uh, 75 to 80% of all German businesses are destroyed in yeah. a single night. Yeah. It is a government-orchestrated and planned and executed uh, riot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, it was a, only a purpose. government license for lawlessness to destroy the Jewish businesses. Right. It was, um, uh, what's the movie? 
uh, where you can commit any crime for 24 hours. Oh, the purge? It was the purge. It was the purge. <laughs> Which was done earlier in Return of the Archons by Star Trek, but we won't even go there. The Red Hour. Well, the guy Star Trek. Just went there. But just went there, of course. Yeah, that's right. Another, another good hit. So, oh, yeah. okay. Well, you're, you're an extra inning. So. Yeah. But you're right. That That is pretty much the same, same idea. Yeah. Only in this case, it was directed. Instead of being anybody can do anything to anybody, it was anybody can do anything they want as long as it's to Jews. And this really did kind of culminate in, you know, after this, there's absolutely no doubt where things are going to go. If you had any doubt before, you, you, you certainly can. And Jews have been trying to leave. We have the very sad stories of countries refusing to allow them into. I mean, even in the U.S., there was yeah. that, that ship of Jews that went from port to port and they wouldn't be let off the boat uh, here in the U.S. And I, I forget where they ended up going. Uh, after they left, because they, they didn't get off the boat here, uh, which is just monstrous in its own way, and you know, in a tiny way compared to what went on. But that is just so unbelievably wrong uh, yeah. to have to have let that happen. If you want to look for complicity, you don't have far to look. No, it's far, no, far. No. More. Well, there's complicity. There's active complicity, and then there's complicity by inaction. Right, passive. Yeah, yeah. and so they're using the power of the state to get everybody to believe that Jews are the cause of all the problems. The propaganda, and this is where propaganda, I think, really yes. takes its, its hold and becomes the, the negative that it, that it is now. Because yep. propaganda didn't have a negative connotation before World War II. It, it was just how you got your message out. Right. And you know, there was a poster in 1937. 60,000 Reichsmarks is what this person with hereditary illness causes, cost the community in his lifetime. Fellow citizen, that is your money too. And this is the kind of thing that was starting to be directed everywhere else. At one time, that would have been just, this Jewish guy is going to cost you this amount of money. So they start expanding it. And this is where that Aryan ideal of perfectionism wants to be, a, uh, and where the eugenics wants to be applied and everywhere. A sense of utility to society. Yes. That the society is more than the individual. Right. And this is because it's socialism. So that is a key yes. tenet of Which socialism. Is, I know utility is something, of course, that Francis has studied and rails against on a regular... Yes, we... we rightly so. Yes, you know, and John Stuart Mill. And I mean, John Stuart Mill wants him to, to burn in hell and... Well, burning effigy is what we've always said. Oh, okay. that's correct. So we don't we don't do that. I mean, that's a you know that sort of thing is up to God. But we can burn an effigy a lot and absolutely destroy. And wouldn't be surprised if that's where he ended up. But we don't uh, hope for. We it. ain't saying it. We ain't saying it. It's there whatever. You know, yeah. it is. But well, yeah, we, it, we it's don't a, hope for it. But it's right. a Christian charity. You're hoping that he repented at the last second, at the last moment, yes. and and has well, found his way to. It's an unpopular place. position, but you, but a good. Good Christian, good Catholic has to hold that true. That's right. That yes. Even for Hitler, that from the moment between he squeezed the trigger on that gun, and the bullet blew his brains out, he had to have suddenly repented, and is spending the next trillion years in purgatory uh, for uh, purification of his sins, which are great and many. Well, and and, and inarguable. I mean, everyone knows his responsibilities for this. Right. Yeah. And he's not the only one, of course. There are no, but many he is others. the driving force. Yeah. Of course, yeah, he's at the top of the heap. So yeah. uh, Again, Reinhard Heydrich, yes. Himmler, Goering, Speer, all these guys. Again, we talked about the, you know, the spanality. He ended up dodging the bullet, though. He went and he was in Spandau prison for a long, long time. A long, long time. But, but he had the smarts to get out, literally. Yeah. Uh, and try some backdoor diplomacy because he saw where things were going. Yeah. He thought we were screwed. Yeah. And so he tried to end the war on his own, yeah. which it was too late. There's no way anybody was going to make peace with him. It was destruction or nothing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, the, the, this idea that the banality of these men, the, the ordinariness of these men uh, to dream up this monstrous crime. And I want to. Also, again, part of this, we know about this because, in particular, Eisenhower, another shout to our man, Dwight, uh, David Eisenhower, ordered like it, documented it. Yes, he did that's not, right. He did, would not allow this to be swept under the rug. And 
German townspeople were made to go through the camps to know what they'd been right. They had what had happened. It. Yeah, what had happened in your midst that you counseled, that you allowed, right? Uh, and then recording it and making sure that this would not be in the spirit of reconciliation swept under the rug. This right. is too monstrous a crime to allow that. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because uh, it brings up you know. You can make the argument. It's a poor argument. But the townsfolk were making the argument that, well, we didn't go into the camps. How are we supposed How to know? supposed to know? Really? You couldn't smell the dead bodies? You couldn't smell when they were incinerating the bodies that very particular sickly sweet smell? And you know all your Jewish human... neighbors disappeared. Right. Where did, where'd they all go? Where'd they all go? You knew what was going on. You right. participated you counseled this during Crystal Knot. You knew. Well, to, to steal from Alan Moore, all they required was their silent, obedient consent. And that's what they gave. And therefore, they are still responsible for that. Passive or active, it makes yes. no difference. They are still complicit. Now, we can talk about degrees of complicity and yes. responsibility and punishment according thereof. Yes. But that does not, but to, to suggest to someone or to history or even to God himself, it's not your fault. That's not right. Or as, as I've put it in many you have times. No, that you have no, no fault. Yeah. You can't do that. As I've used this quote, I'll apply it to here. You know, what can it hurt getting rid of the Jews? Well, how was I supposed to know? I mean, yeah. that's essentially the defense that they try. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't work. So on that note, though, because uh, we are 40 minutes into this episode, and we have yet to talk about bourbon. So it's oh, time for yes, bourbon that's break. Correct. And yes, we have a yeah, an unopened bottle of Basil Hayden. Beautiful, Hayden clear. Look at the beauty of that. There, it's, 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 it's a gorgeous amber. This was gifted to me recently, so it's it's a very you know it's kind of my go to favorite. Yes. you know that's a yes. Well, it's the family bourbon. It is. He's I mean, he's me. How cool is it that Francis can say it's the family bourbon? Well, yeah, I mean, me, that's cool. Me and several thousand other people, but yes, and I. That's beside the point. Beside the point. That's all right, but you know. I can absolutely conclusively show that yes, he is my direct ancestor through my yes. dad's mother's side. So you know, yeah, it's not just you know you know I mean your mom worked at Heaven Hill, Barton's Barton's. Yes, sorry, Heaven. I was I always get that wrong. Yeah, I don't know why. I, Heaven Hill's on the other side of town. That's right. Barton's is on the she side. Worked, she worked at Barton's, so yeah. you know you could people worked at a, a distillery and say well, you know that's the family, but not the same way. That's correct. That's right. It's not the same. Well, my dad worked for Seagram's for many, many years as well. Well, my mom thinks she drank yeah. Seagram's quite a bit. So. I seem to remember you mentioning that. Yes. <laughs> In fact, uh, Seagram's actually paid for my college thanks to a scholarship program they had. So, yeah, that was very nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have to give a shout out to them. It's not bourbon, but, you know. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They're, uh, yeah. Very much so. But yes, so well, we've got an unopened basil. We're getting ready to open, and I see you've got Woodford on your shelf. You yeah, that, some, that one we have opened. And that Jefferson's and some Russell Reserve. We've got to finish the Russell Reserve because there's I just will, about... Yes, I will. You'll take that, that burden on. Yes, yes, yes that, that's your thing. You've got a very that's good, good mix of high-end bourbons it, it's, Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's been a while since we've been here, and I've been I've been deliberate in the way we've worked on that. And uh, this was a gift here. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the well, Basil Hayden is. We thank you for allowing us to partake of your gift. Well, of course, that's correct. And but you know, uh, Woodford we've had before, but uh, the Jefferson Reserve is brand spanking new. We're going to crack that here in a little while. Uh, I don't think we'll crack it this episode. We'll crack it in one of the other ones next ones. Yeah. We do. Uh, the Jefferson's is a good bourbon. Not had it, and that's kind it. of a thing to say. You know, let's. We're always looking to expand. Always yeah. looking to yeah. do something different. Yeah. Uh, and trust me, that Russell Reserve is good stuff. I've had that before. I, yes. I had. I had yes, had that. that. Very good. Very complex. That was not drank that. by uh, without me completely. Uh, it was. It was quite a bit of it was drank without me, but uh, I did have some at least, and I will have. You know what? You know. We'll finish it off here very shortly. Yeah, because we had we talked about this in a previous episode that you said, "Oh, I got this great bottle of Russell Reserve. Oh, we're gonna crack that." And but yet when we came to the Baxter Building today, it's very already low. Yeah. <laughs> it well, is. Poor Francis. Poor Francis. Yes, and I'm not even sure because my daughter Emily gave that to me. I don't even remember when. It hasn't been that long though. It was no, it hasn't. Uh, it was it a was, recent episode where we discussed. Yeah. I was gonna say, uh, I don't remember. You know, was, I think we need to put on the schedule. Um, another bourbon episode uh, because you know we, we did we did the one episode which is great but I think we need to revisit uh, talk about some new bourbons and I think we need to do what we talked about a few, few uh, groups yeah. of episodes ago 
and try bourbons different ways. Yeah. Because that Meat whole thing, yeah, that it astounded me how much of a difference it was. I really want to try some taste testing with regards to that. It have to be the last step. Maybe it should be the first episode we do that day because then we need to be sober the rest of the episodes. So otherwise, you know, whoever is leaving that location is going to need a designated driver. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It could, it could be, yeah. yeah. It could be bad. It could be, could be bad. Uh, we'll right. host that at my place. You guys are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. That's right. Yeah, sure. So, anyways, uh, that's our bourbon break. Uh, as always. Very well done, Robert. Thank yeah. you for, for catching that, Captain. We were flowing through this discussion. Yes. Almost let it go. Uh, so, that's the role of the Captain. Well done by Robert. Yeah, well, you gave me that visual cue, but I was, it already had it in the back of my mind, but I, but I appreciate the, uh, the visual cue. Uh, so, Back to the Holocaust, and uh, you know, we've tried to dance around the why, but <clears throat> there, there, I don't think there is an answer to that other than the whole country was marched into its yeah. own version of insanity as a as a country, yeah. and you know, it's just it's inexplicable. Humans but, are capable of incredible evil. We just are, That's and even if it's only by. By just allowing it, uh, you know, because that's part of the problem is that the great evil only takes a few to perpetrate. Uh, although in the scale case, of this, it was yeah. much more than a few because yeah. it was industrialized. But it still takes a lot more to allow it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, but it did. Now, you know, by the time the Nazis really get into this on the industrial scale, there's so many things going on. You know, mm -hmm. the Jews have already been so marginalized that. If you were to speak out against them, you're going to be sent to the camps as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to remember that the, the real extermination doesn't really begin in earnest until after the war has started. Yeah. So you've got the distraction of the war going on. So there is some valid excuse here and there for, my God, you know, we're in the middle of a war. We've got all these other things to think about. Now, when you're next door to the camp, no, you don't have an excuse. Uh, because when they were originally sent off to these camps, they weren't death camps yet. Uh, it was labor camps. They were labor, labor camps. camps. That's right. Well, concentration. Now, they would work you to death, no. but it was not an automatic death sentence like it became. So even that was not, you know, it was very, it's a very subtle progression. Again, it's not a A to Z. It's an A, B, C. They took all the steps in between. And, you know, all of these things just built one upon another. And I want to talk about the, uh, the conference where they decided to settle the, the final answer to the Jewish question. Yes, yeah, the Wannsee Conference. Yes. Yeah, the Wannsee Conference, the, the final solution. It's a great movie uh, out there with um, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Mm -hmm. uh, and I forget who else Stanley is Stanley Tucci. Stan yes, Stanley yeah, Tucci. Yeah, he plays, he plays Eichmann. Uh, which though in uh, Brana plays Heydrich, and they're two. They're the two main stars, and the other people that they basically you sit around. The, the whole movie is these people sitting around a table and talking. Yes, and it, it, it's bone chilling. And we love Stanley Tucci and Kenneth Branagh. We love them both. Uh, Branagh had a emotional almost a breakdown that he talks about filming yeah. this. He, it, it just messed with him so bad. Well, he you he know was he's a great actor to begin yeah, with, absolutely, but. I mean, the whole cast was just phenomenal. To me, the movie, if you want to understand how you could slowly progress a nation uh, from, we're just, we don't like the Jews because, well, nobody really likes the Jews, to industrialization of their their murder, mm -hmm. this movie encapsulates it. And it does so very left-handedly in ways because they don't say... Well, and that's the, kind of the point. Yeah, that's right. It's right. And, cause yeah. there, and there's several folks in there, and they and at the, around the table, you've got varying degrees of believers. Some that are already willing to it. They're ready to you know execute anybody that doesn't agree with them. And others are just civil servants that are in positions of efficiency. And there's one, I don't even remember what that, all of a sudden he realizes... You're talking, he doesn't say it, but you can see it in his face that, uh, I wish I could give you the character. Oh my God, you're talking about murdering all these people. And nobody says the word. You know, there's euphemisms everywhere. Right, right. because for a Which, lot of the civil servants originally, it's just, well, we're moving them. 
That's right. Where exactly. we locate them out of these this, places. And this thing here, all of a sudden, he realizes what all these euphemisms mean. And he has to step outside onto the balcony and recognize, get okay. And he, he doesn't want to get okay with it, but he's pretty much pushed into, you know, basically, you will do this. Right. If you don't, we'll find someone else who will, and you won't survive. Right. You're going to go with them. You'll go with them. That's right. Um, but, you know, I think the way the you know, we're talking about like, euphemisms being used, it's a disservice to the movie. Because, again, the movie, and Hadrick, he's the architect of this this decision, uh, according to the movie. Yeah. And given Hadrick's uh, position and what he did in the, I mean, he, he was, he, he he's one of those bad guys. He's the quintessential bad guy. I mean, he had his fingers about every nasty thing that went on during the entire yeah, movie until he died. Yeah, he's one of these guys that really was uh, not the schlub. Right. He he had all the wheels turning in his head about how to do this. Yeah. Right. And, and Eichmann is the one that pulls it off because he's got the details. Right. But Hedrick goes into this meeting knowing what his outcome is. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly where he's going. He's already answered the question. He knows what the the final solution is. He has it in, in his mind. Because you can see it when you watch how he directs the discussion. Yeah. Because that's what he does. It's truly a discussion. But it's directed in such a way that it leads it from, oh, you know, gosh, we got to do something about this. Because, you know, it's kind of it's a distraction. I do something. What do you guys think? And then he subtly, and in some cases not so subtly, Steers it to well. We yeah. just have to get rid of them. We yeah. just can't. We just cannot countenance them just, in our midst yeah, anymore. This is happening. They've got to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's he over maneuvers everybody else into. Yes. And again, it's just a movie about a bunch of guys talking. It is yet. I think it's one of the most fascinating movies of all time. Uh, if I had to put a you know top ten, it's in there. Just because of what it illustrates and how well it does it, uh, I really. What is the name of the conspiracy? Movie? Conspiracy. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. So you know, look it up, find it, watch that movie. Mm-hmm. It is worth watching because it is a microcosm of how this happened. That's right, and it's it's one of those movies you do not want any distractions. You want to sit yes. down uh, by yourself, preferably, and really go deep with it because it's there if you, if you take the time. To, to realize it. Yeah, it's a very, very important questions. document. A very important uh, document that needs to be viewed. Yes. Needs to be shown. Because again, it's... it's it, We can't forget. Yeah. We can't forget. And this is... It's important to not letting us forget. Yeah. It's, it's important not to forget the number, which is extremely important, and who yeah. they were. But it's also not... It's also very important not to forget how we got there. Yeah. And this movie is just such a great illustration of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, I can see how. I I do not understand the why when we start talking about the hatred mm-hmm. and hating somebody, some group of people so much that you literally want to kill every single one of them. Yeah. Now exterminate them from the face of the earth. You can argue that we have some parallels today. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain Muslim sects, hatred of all things Jewish is a good example. Um, you know, the Jewish state is strong enough to resist uh, what would I think be a similar Holocaust. Yeah. If uh, the the extremists were to take enough, uh, have enough power to impose that upon Israel. Um, so that's a modern example, but it's not organized into a single state where it can be uh, applied like it was in Nazi Germany. Um, now, for all the people who said that you know we are on the path Nazi in the last four years, I think you're a bunch of freaking idiots. Yeah. I do not think we were ever on that path in the U.S. No, and um, just to say that shows that the the absolute, it's a cheapening of yeah intellectual bankruptcy of the people that speak it that you just yeah. prove themselves ignorant. Yeah, uh, another solid hit. Well, Absolutely, I love intellectual well, you know, bankruptcy right up the middle. That's I love that. One. Well, you know, it's, we tweak mindedness. We've said that. Yes, yeah. that's Augustus McRae, one of my favorite quotations. Well, you know, again, Excellent. you know, as always, we go back to the if you must demonize your opponent, you must destroy them. And I think um, that principle obviously is very much at play in Nazi Germany yeah. to its ultimate. Uh, but what has become the subtle, unspoken 
MO for political and social discourse uh, is that you must destroy your enemy because they are evil. Right. They and were the evil easy, if you and the disagree. easiest way to set up a destruction is to equate someone with Nazism. Well, that's, right. and that's which also, is very Nazi in its own way. Yeah, yes. and that's actually an internet thing. Is you know, and I cannot remember. I wish I could remember the exact terminology for the for the. But for when the, you invoke somebody and you go Hitler, you automatically lose. That's not true anymore. That's right. Yeah, it, it, it was once once you reach that, you prove yourself incapable of actually arguing anything because right. that's too, that's the starting too, point in some yeah. cases. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yet it's it's it, it, it's happened so much. It's become not only tolerated but almost expected. And yeah, that's, that's, well, I think intellectual bankruptcy is probably a good place to round up there, Robert. Well, what do you uh, think? going through my uh, my stuff here, you know, the details of what happened. Uh, I think most people know yeah. the, the places we do need to remember: Auschwitz, Dachau, Treblinka, uh, Treblinka, Buchenwald. Yeah, no. these these are all places that. If we ever have the opportunity to go to, we should. And I've, I've talked to some people that have. But something a little bit more within the reach of most of us here is the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C., yeah. I spent a day there uh, uh, probably a decade ago, and it changed my life forever. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's that's, that's one thing. You don't go in and drop in for an hour. You spend the four to five, six hours uh, that it requires to really go through it and view all the video and see all the moments and uh the entire concept of holocaust denial to me is is beyond weak-mindedness it's and beyond intellectual bankruptcy and yet it persists and it's places like this that reminds us that come on folks yeah you, we should we should know better than this well, well stinks honors we have we've made our stand against denialism yes we have indeed and yeah, yes. it's an important thing. just as we made our stand against the lost cause myth that's correct. Yes, we've pushed. Uh, you did a very fine, Francis. Uh, yes. Post. Oh, you guys read it. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. I commented on that. Yes, you did. That's right. Yes. You gravy, man. You called it gravy. Yeah. That's right. Thank it's you. Pure gravy. Uh, yeah, because it was well. It just as we record this, Robert E. Lee's statue came down this week in Richmond, and it was the last of all those. And uh, as, and as you rightly pointed out, it's a civil statue. Correct. It's not a battlefield statue. That's right. Uh, illustrating events. Yes, because it was definitely put in place. As an object of oppression. Yes. Yeah. Very much um, so. At, at, at a time of retrenchment and recidivism, I guess mm -hmm. you'd call it. Well, yeah, and uh, well, propaganda. You know, yeah. Joseph Goebbels would have been proud, even though he was, you know, wasn't even around yet when, when all that started. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's it's a huge, it's a huge deal. I mean, you can read the article, folks. So snakes and otters. Snakes and otters. Yeah, that's right. Um, I also want to shout out because I think it ties very well into this discussion to uh, Martin Monday host this week. Oh, thank you, indeed. Uh, because your you pulled that quote out, uh, which I thought would would be great for Code of Honor. If you want to use that for Code of Honor, I think it'd be awesome. Oh, I may uh, do that. Uh, it was it was a longer quote, but the money quote part of that quote was, "I am beyond their timid lying morality." Timid lying morality from from Apocalypse Now that. with the uh, John Melius. Yep, I love that quote. Uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, as I discussed in my Robert Wednesday. Um, what did you call it, uh, Robert? What? Uh, Robert Rensday. Rensday, because you're, rend you're rending the cyber gnar. Yes. Oh, aren't you just so clever? Yes. That's correct. Yes. That's very, very good. I like very that. Very good. Well, you know, you are the master of the quip. You really Thank are. Thank you. This is true. Uh, this is very true. I, I love having very generous fellows. Oh, well. You guys. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't tell you what that means to me, your generosity. That's not true. It's just recognizing talent. It really is. But beyond their lying, Tim and Brown, if, if that is such, that to me, that's a great description of the morality of Nazi Germany. It's a lying, timid morality. It looks bold because it's angry. Uh, it's not. It's, it's not. timid in that it cannot face truth it at can't, all. It can't face a, a reality of human fellowship. Right. And what uh, that would really mean to breaking down your prejudices, breaking down the narrowness of your view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Dead on. There perfect. doesn't have to be a villain. Yeah. There doesn't have to be. Right. Yeah. Well, there's only one true villain. Villainy itself? Satan. Well, yes. That's okay. okay. Which, you know, you want to go say, you know, villain You want to personify. Right? Yes. That's right. Yes. Uh, so evil does I, exist. Yes. So I think, as Martin, as you point, I think we have uh, pummeled this expired epoch. No, you, quite you a did a terrific job, Robert. A terrific yeah. job. Yeah, hopefully, I didn't 
come off as dominating that too much, but the locks no, really no, have I, a lot of. We would have ranged you in if it had. To, if it my had man to here got some very solid uh, wood on the ball. That's good because yeah, it's been. I'm glad you you finished that quote because I thought you could stop with solid wood. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a little personal, but <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, we wood on the I, ball. We just got some editing decisions to make with yes. this. One. <laughs> but uh, yeah. let's let's round it up and say, Francis, what's next, man? Code of honor. Which, we're, of course, you know, it's that time again. Our famous quotations. Uh, we'll see what we're going to talk about. Uh, sounds like Martin's kind of got an idea where he might go. We'll yeah. see. He's, he, we're not we're not holding him to that. Tune in next episode to see what Martin actually decides and what Robert and I kind of bring into it as well. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.